you have in front of you a handout, and it says, Life Lessons Learned from My Father. Let me give you some explanation here. We're doing a sermon series in our church. This whole year, we've been dealing with a new mission statement that our church has. It's called Sending Transformed People to Influence Their World for Christ. So I preached a series on, we talked about sending. Then we just finished a series where we talked about transformed. What does it mean to be transformed? And we started a new series, talked about influence. Talk about what does influence mean? It means uh, affecting, having effect on one life on another, moving someone to action. And influence happens in a number of different areas. It happens at your work, at your home, at school, and in the community. Last Sunday was work. This Sunday, we will talk about home, influence in home. What is the influence you have in home? And so as I was doing preparation, I pulled back some notes from uh, when I um, uh, did a leadership talk uh, on my dad. My dad uh, was 83 years old, and he passed away in 2003. And when he passed away, I had an opportunity to speak at the funeral. But then afterwards, I put together a leadership talk, which was lessons that I learned from my father. And uh, so I pulled those notes out, and I took a look at that, and I said, you know, those, those things are still applicable today. And so we understand that we all influence other people. Every one of us has a sphere of influence. And in that area, we have an opportunity to push people to even greater things and to help people walk through difficult times. So I've got 10 things here that I'm just telling you are life lessons that I've learned from my dad's life, 83 years of living. And as you write these down, if you find one that you say, wow, I need to really do something on that. Hey, this has been a success. But I think that there's some things here that every one of us can look at and say, you know what? I can do more on this and it can help me to influence some other people on there. My dad, he lived a full life. He was hardly ever sick. Uh, he, was, he was working until right up to the time he died at 83. Uh, he got a bad cough for one week. They put him in a hospital. Uh, he was in the hospital for two days, and then they moved him into ICU for five days, and then he slipped into eternity. It was just, just that quick. And... Um, so when I looked at that, and he passed away on June 18th, uh, 2003, uh, I've just caused me to do some evaluation, review of his life, and that's where I've got what we've got here. So are you ready? I'm going to give you these 10 things. Let's write them down, and we'll talk about them. Stay active physically, mentally, and spiritually. Stay active mentally, physically, mentally, and spiritually. And what's sad to say is that... Uh, uh, my dad at 83 was probably like uh, like a 40-year-old, and it's sad to know that I know some 40-year-olds who are like they're 83. And what you need to do is stay active. When my dad was 83 years old, he was still a manufacturer's rep. And um, my mom encouraged him in 1999, four years before he died, and she says, Charlie, you need to write an obituary because I don't know if you die what we're going to say. So my dad... My dad comes up, and he writes his own obituary. So when my dad died, sure enough, it was there. We had the obituary all there. But the thing that got me was, okay, 1999, he's writing this, this obituary, 79 years old, and this is the way he worded it. He, was, he served as a manufacturer's representative until his death. He had no mention of retirement. He was always going to be working, and, and then he was just going to step into eternity. Uh, he stayed active physically. He stayed active mentally. 
My dad was not much of a reader, I didn't ever think. But you remember when the Left Behind series came, Tim LaHaye? My dad just engulfed it and read every one of those books, that whole Left Behind series. He read that whole thing. He just stayed active mentally. But he also stayed active spiritually. His birthday is May 20th. And on May 20th of that same year, I gave him Rick Warren's book, uh, 40 Days of Purpose. And with 40 days of purpose, he began to read that book. And when he went into the hospital, he made a point to take that book with him. And every day, my sister would come in and she would read one of those chapters from the 40 days of purpose. He wanted to stay active, active physically, mentally, and spiritually. Number two, relentless persistence. Relentless persistence. I learned this from my dad. My dad was a salesman uh, his whole life. And for him, when someone told him no, it was only a temporary opinion. Uh, And for him, because he may get a yes the next time, he was after it. And uh, when I was at the funeral, uh, one of the men that he'd worked with came up to me and said, I just want to give a testimony about your dad. said, two years ago, he called on a particular customer, and his customer bought a large order from your dad, and he didn't buy anything else. Every month, your dad would call on him. Every month. Now, call on him was not send you a text. He'd drive over there, face-to-face him, lay out all his swatches and things. And he was for a furniture company, and uh, and he got turned down. He'd go the next month, the next month, the next month. He did this for two solid years, and the guy never bought anything. When he died, they contacted that individual and that that company, and they said, just want to let you know that Charlie Wood has passed away. And the response they got back were the people in that company came back, and they said, can we just tell you how much Charlie Wood meant to us? by him coming through over here and just who he was and his persona. I say that for you, and what it says to me over here is that you will work with clients who sometimes will give you no, and they may give you no many times. And you might be so frustrated, you just want to write them off. You just never know. Stay the course. You might make a sale, and in the process, you might impact someone's life. And that's what he was doing. So even if the sale didn't come, I'm still impacting lives. That is relentless persistence stay after it number three every time life knocks you down get back up every time life knocks you down get back up every one of us hopefully has been knocked down sometime or another in life i'm positive we have been and then the question is is what will i do when i'm knocked down do i get back up or stay down well he would always get back up he worked for sears and roebuck for 25 years he was a merchandise manager when he retired. And when he retired, he said, well, I'm just stepping away from this, and I'm going to be my own boss, so I'm going to be a manufacturer's representative. And so he jumped right in and began to work for other companies. The good news is my dad worked for other companies. The bad news is every time he'd work for the company, they'd go belly up. Uh, he was working for United Record and Tape, and uh, you'll find out later on he was also a jazz musician. And so, uh, man, United Record Tape is all perfect. We're all excited and everything. And he was just going crazy with that. And then they went out of business. So what's Dad going to do now? Well, he's going to the furniture business. So he got with Southern Comfort Furniture. And so he's a manufacturer rep for Southern Comfort Furniture. And then they went out of business. Then he went to work for another company. And once he went to work with another company, I'd get the company's name, call my friends and say, if you got stock in this company, you better sell right now. I said, because Charlie Wood's coming in and something bad's going to happen. And, you know, we talk about how people will say, hey, the check's in the mail. My dad lived that his whole retirement, you call retirement, from when he left the phone, uh, left uh, the uh, Sears and Roebuck. It was constantly. 
about whenever I'd come home, he said, well, I sold a bunch of stuff, but still ain't got a check. They said, well, check's in the mail. Well, the reason it took so long is because the company was going belly up. So this went on and on. But my dad, it didn't deter him. He'd just find another line, another, uh, another company, and uh, he'd get out there and get after it. So I remembered that every time that life knocks you down, you just got to get back up. Number four is this, invest in your passion. Invest in your passion. It is so sad if people go through life and really don't have anything that they're really passionate about. Um, and when you do find that thing you're passionate about, don't just put it off to the side. Just pour into it. Find something that you're passionate about. I would say if I had to talk about my dad, there were three things for sure that he was passionate about. Number one was, uh, was jazz. Uh, my, my, his mother played the organ at the Fox Theater in Atlanta, Georgia, if you've ever been to the Fox. She was the, one of the organists there. And he played drums and xylophone. And when he started like at five and six years old, he was playing drums and xylophone, and they would do concerts together. She'd play piano or organ. He'd play drums, xylophone. And they'd, we even got articles of them going to different groups and, and playing. And uh, he just fell in love with it. John Philip Sousa, uh, Stars and Stripes Forever, uh, that guy, he heard my dad play when he was a child. And he commented to his mom, he says, he is a child prodigy. And he was an incredible uh, musician. And when he finished high school, his dad really couldn't afford to send him to college. But he found out that at Auburn they had a jazz band called the Auburn Knights. And so my dad went to Auburn, became a part of the Knights because they could play gigs during the week and he could make enough money so he could stay in college. And so he was the drummer for the Auburn Knights. And he was, according to the historians, not to my dad, he was the best one they ever had. Because they would have these reunions in the summer, and we would go as a family, uh, and they would have the 30s band, the 40s band, the 50s band, the 60s, the 70s. And they'd all come, and these, they'd be jamming and stuff. And then people would pull me off to the side. And they'd say, man, your dad was a really good drummer. So, well, yeah. And then they stopped and said, no, no, no. I'm telling you. Your dad, we'd be on the dance floor, and when your dad would get going, we'd just stop. Everybody would stop and just watch your dad. I said, he was really good, but he loved it. He loved jazz. And even though he worked Sears Monday through Friday, Saturday, Friday, and, uh, Friday nights and Saturday nights, he and mom would go out, and he'd be playing jazz and stuff, and he just loved to do that. Well, Auburn Knights, he really believed in that and doing the reunion. So he said, I'll be the guy that writes a newsletter. And I, I'd, again, I didn't know my dad could write uh, and, as well as he could. I would read some of those things, and it was, it was incredible. So I read his last article, his last newsletter that he wrote for the summer reunion. He's 83 years old. Okay, my dad's 83 years old, and he's writing this big article encouraging everybody to come, and this is a quote that he said, you would be missing out in life if you did not attend. You would be missing out in life if you did not attend. I'm reading this thing, and I'm saying, I got to go. I'm missing out in life. <laughs> He's 83. What a passion he has. And he loved it, and he poured himself into it. The second thing would be tennis. My dad didn't do anything athletically all his life until around the mid-50s. He got introduced to tennis, and he just immersed himself in it. And he played tennis uh, all, all the time. And he played with me, and we played tennis, go back and forth on that. And But my dad was not a someone who could play today because today everybody's a wuss uh, because what my dad did, he didn't believe in drinking water. Uh, you weren't supposed to drink water. And when you play tennis, you play at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in the summer and you don't take any water and you just go out there. And so what he does, he always wanted to get a suntan, so you take your shirt off, you stand out there, okay, let's go play. And then you serve it up and you play. And he sweated like no man ever sweated before. 
And when you play, you sometimes you put one ball in your pocket and serve the other one, and he'd serve the first one, and it would go out, and he'd take that second one out, and it's like a spitball. He'd serve that thing. Water would be coming off the thing. And, you know, you play two games, and after the second game, then you swap sides. I'm, ser- I'm not lying on this. This is not some pastor makeup thing. Is that when we finished the second game and we swapped sides, I come around, there was a puddle uh, over here at the serving line where my dad had been standing. And you couldn't drink water, and you couldn't rest. I mean, when you finished the set, it wasn't like, well, let's try. Okay, serve up the next one. And, but he loved it, okay? He had a passion for jazz. He had a passion for tennis. He had a passion for Auburn University. Once he went there, he fell in love with it. Got season tickets, went to all the football games, took me there since I was a baby, going to all the football games. And he was a true Auburn fan. It was back in the 1980s when the Cold War was going on with Russia. And I don't know if you all remember or not, where the Russians came over to the United States and brought their basketball team, and they played the University of Alabama. I don't know if you remember that. My dad called me before that game. He said, hey, Danny, Russians are playing Alabama. He says, I'm cheering for the Russians. <laughs> I, said, I said, he's a true Auburn man, true blue, isn't he? My, my sister was getting ready to get engaged. He says, well, I don't care when you get engaged, and I don't care when you get married, but don't get married in the fall because I won't be there. And, and she got married in the summer uh, on that. So you find what your passion is, okay? And I always liked that about him. I mean, he found that, and he poured into it and, uh, and just loved life with that. Number five is this. Learn from life's detours. Learn from life's detours. Sometimes detours begin to happen in our life, and when it begins to happen, many times our first response is to whine about it, complain about it. But what I learned from my dad is you just kind of see where this road's taking you. You know, when the detour comes, hey, you may get a little upset, but let's just see where this is taking us. This is a lesson he learned in World War II. He was in the Army Air Force, and he flew reconnaissance. And when you fly a reconnaissance plane, it means you don't have any guns or anything. What you're doing is you're just a spy plane. Well, he got shot down. Uh, it's kind of close to the end of the war. And as he crashed, uh, he, came out, he came out okay. And, and when he got out, he got connected with another unit out there. And so he was just sitting there with this other unit there in Germany, uh, waiting for some folks to come get in to connect with his unit. And all of a sudden, this group starts driving through. And they see him. They say, hey, you want to ride with us? He says, yeah. I said, where are you going? They told him where. He said, okay, that's good. That'll get me to where I need to be. So he's riding with them. But little did he know where they ended up going. They went to Dachau. And they went to Dachau where the concentration camp was. And it was at the point when Germany was losing the war. And they began to uh, take their soldiers away from the concentration camps and just leave a small band there. And so my dad went in there with these others and they freed 32,000 prisoners there at Dachau because there's only just a couple Germans left. And so when they came in, they just took, took care of that and, uh, and freed these 32,000. I said, wow. And, uh, and he's like most guys in World War II. He never talked about it till the very end of his life. I didn't even know any of, this, any of this happened. But he saw the war from two different perspectives. Mainly it was in the air. But then all of a sudden, because of life's detour, he got to see it right on the ground and be a part of a liberation of 32,000 people. So learn from life's detours. Number six, laugh at yourself. You might as well because everyone else is, okay? One thing I gained from my dad is he learned how to laugh at himself. You say, well, how do you know that? Because he did a lot of stupid stuff. Um, And he told us. 
you know, I, I'll do stupid stuff and not tell you. Uh, my dad would tell us as a family. And so we just laugh. And in fact, with my married life with Janice now, I'll do something. I'll say, that's just like Charlie. I mean, I as just, just like him. He would do things that um, it would, we would just die laughing on there. Uh, he had no patience. And uh, he bought a 1967 uh, baby blue Mustang. And when they first came out, ooh, it was a sweet ride. And he had that car. He had it at Sears. He was in the parking lot. And he parked in front of those little concrete things. And somebody blocked him in after work. Forget that. He said, I'm just driving over the concrete thing and heading on. And that looked like a good idea at the time. The problem is, is that when he did that, he knocked off the oil pan. And so he drove 35 miles with no oil. Well, all of a sudden he gets to the house and says, the car's not running real well. So he goes up to the mechanic and he says, hey, it's, running, it's not running good because you got no oil. You've been running 35 miles. And it just never ran the same, uh, you know, because of that. But he told us that. I wouldn't have ever told you that. But then he did let us know he didn't have much patience because he traveled throughout the week. And when he'd fly in someplace, he would always get a rental car. So he got a rental car one place. And when he got the rental car, he was getting ready to head out. And as soon as he started to head out, he got to a spot where he says, "Uh uh-oh, I don't need to go that way. I need to go another way. So he put it in reverse. You ever gone through a a rental car reverse thing when the spikes come back up? (laughs) All four tires just like that. (laughs) And he told us. Uh, I, mean, I can remember him. I can remember him flying in town. It was on a Friday. He says, hey, let me tell you what I did. Uh, and that. So he would just laugh at himself. And so it was, it was such a quality about my dad that I love because he would do, th- he wasn't, uh, he wasn't pretentious and he wasn't so big on himself that he just says, hey, you know, I, I do these things. And, uh, and, So we could laugh with him and at him because he would laugh at himself. Sometimes, folks, you just don't need to take yourself so serious. This summer's coming up, you're going to do something stupid. Every one of you is going to do something stupid. Keep a file. Send it to me. I'll use it in a talk, all right? But when it happens, just laugh at yourself. Share it with your family. Let them laugh at it, too. And they'll laugh at you for years uh, on that particular thing. So go with that. Number, Number seven, be an original. Be an original. Good gracious. Too often we were trying to be like somebody else. And I'm trying to act like this person, uh, talk like this person, do whatever. My dad was his own man. He was an original. And anybody that knew my dad, if they would say there's only one Charlie Wood. And there was. I mean, he was. He was unique. And, um, and he felt very comfortable in his own skin. And he just began to be the, the man that he was supposed to be. He was, at 83, he was the youngest, hippest man, 83-year-old man I'd ever met. Part of that was all that musician stuff and all that jazz stuff. If you ever watch Andy of Mayberry, uh, Freddie Fleet and the band with the beat, you know, when they come through town, my dad's Freddie Fleet. So when you see Freddie Fleet, that's Charlie Wood. Anytime you watch Andy Mayberry... Freddie Fleet and the band when the beat comes on, you see Freddie Fleet, hey, man, what's happening, all this stuff? That's my dad. Uh, that, that, was, that was him. Uh, at the funeral, the man he worked with says, your dad had furniture swatches that he presented like no one else did. He had his own unique way of doing it. He had those swatches out there, and he said, that was him. That's just your dad. My dad, the way he would talk, the way he would dress, we were polar opposites. I was a phone company Button-down shirt, three-piece suit, 
dressed for success guy. My dad, canary yellow pants, no telling what the shirt color is. And, uh, and he's just happening on there. And he's like a rainbow over here. And here's his square egg son over here. And hey, I'm with this guy. And all the musicians say, whose son is that? <laughs> He'd say, it's Lee's son. It's his, it's his mom on that. So we were different on there. But, uh, but his lingo, he's in his late 50s. And I begin to date Janice, and, and I bring her to, to, uh, for them to meet her. And my dad's first words to me after he met Janice, he says, she's a pretty groovy chick. <laughs> pretty groovy chick. Okay, thanks, uh, Dad. But that's just him. That was him. And that was the same way the whole time. But the great thing about my dad was he's just original. That was it. That was it. And so being original, number eight, in the midst of today's pain, focus on the future. In the midst of today's pain, focus on the future. There are going to be some setbacks. There's going to be some painful times. And you can either focus on the pain or begin to focus on the future. My dad only had a couple things happen to him health-wise throughout his life, and it never slowed him down. He never complained. I've never heard him ever say he was, he was, he was hurting. In fact, my mom, when he died, says, let's donate his body to science and figure out what was going on in this guy's head. I mean, he would never complain. He just looked to the future. When he was in his 70s, he passed out um, somewhere and... Um, they were just shocked. They said, well, well, what's the deal? So they took him, rushed him to the hospital. They couldn't really find anything. And, and they said, well, what you need to do is um, you just need to rest a little bit and you can't drive. You can't drive for two weeks. And we, let's just make sure everything's going to be fine. If you don't pass out after two weeks, then you can get back and you can drive. Okay. Two weeks passed. And I remember calling mom. I said, hey, Two weeks is up. How's dad doing? He said, oh, it's good. It's good. He can drive again. I said, oh, good. I said, so what did he do? Did he like drive up to the Publix and uh, kind of test his legs and go over there? He says, oh, no, Danny. You know, we live in Atlanta. He, he drove to Orlando, and then from Orlando, he had a contact in Tampa. And then from Tampa, he went to Pensacola. From Pensacola, he went to Mobile. From Mobile, he went to Montgomery. And, oh, he's going to be in Birmingham and see you. Then he's going to Anniston, and then he's going back to Atlanta. That's a testing your wheels and testing your legs underneath you. And I'm sitting there thinking, he's crazy. So we had this watch in Birmingham, see if my dad could even make it to Birmingham. So I, what I'm telling you is... Focus on the future. And that's all my dad did. He said, I'm still a salesman. I got contacts to make. Hey, I'm after it. I'm already ahead of this thing, and I'm going to go get after it. Number nine is this. Support the dreams of those closest to you. Support the dreams of those closest to you. I worked for the telephone company for eight and a half years and uh, felt God was calling me to go into the ministry. And I remember um, telling my family I was going to, we made this decision without telling our family. Uh, we didn't want anybody to talk us out of it. Janice and I prayed about it, felt this was God's will, leave the company, go off to seminary. Uh, weren't sure how we we're going to support ourselves, but just feel like we we're going to do our best. So how are we going to tell, uh, tell mom and dad? Well, it was the Auburn, Alabama weekend. We were there in Birmingham, went to the ball game, and uh, went over to the, um, oh, gosh, Jolly Ox. Isn't that the name of any of you Birmingham people? The Jolly Ox restaurant was over there. And we can remember eating lunch. We are eating lunch at Jolly Ox restaurant, and uh, I got a drop this bomb on them because this is November and I'm turning my paper in like in the next three days to say it's official. And then in January, we moved to Texas. So I tell them that I'm leaving the phone company and I'm going to go into the ministry and I'm going to seminary. My mom was the spiritual leader in the family. My dad really did not make a decision for Christ till about when he was about 60. And, uh, 
So I'm sitting there ready to get blasted by my dad and to be loved on by my mom. And I shared it, and my mom starts crying. And I looked at her, and she says, how are you going to eat? <laughs> You're going to starve. I, I just can't believe this. And she's crying like crazy. I was like, oh, no, I didn't see that coming. And my dad, right across from me, says, that's a great move. He says, I really respect that. That's great. I'm proud of you. Where did this come from? Janice and I both said, can we call time out? This is, this is not how we saw this happening at all. But you see, what happened is, is that my dad had to make a similar decision because he married my mom right before he went over to World War II. When he came back from World War II, he had to make a decision. Do you want to go on the road and be a jazz drummer or do you want to go get a solid career at Sears and Roebuck? He chose the solid career with Sears and Roebuck, but there was always that part of him that says, what would it have been like to take the chance and to be that jazz drummer? And, and to be one of the best of the best. And the fact that his son was stepping away from something that was so solid and, uh, and comfortable to step into a little bit of the unknown, he loved that. And he was always supportive, and there was a change that took place at that point and, and how he followed our ministry and the things that he did. And so I'm just telling you, support the dreams of those closest to you. And the last thing is this, share the best news with your best friends. Share the best news with your best friends. My dad had a good friend he played tennis with all the time. His name was Jack Crum. Jack's wife, Doris, passed away. And uh, when Doris passed away, um, uh, boy, it was sad. Jack and Doris had been married for a long time. Dad brought Jack to the Auburn Knights reunion. So you just need to come down with us. So he came down with the family. And uh, my dad, who probably never witnessed anybody in his life, just shared his faith with Jack Crum. And, uh, and he, his question was, do you want to see Doris in eternity? Do you want to see Doris in eternity? And uh, Jack said, you know, I would, you know, sure, I would, I would love to know that. And in God's wonderful providence, my uncle was also there who's a retired minister. And so my dad sort of handed him off uh, to my uh, Uncle Roy. And Roy shared the plan of salvation uh, with Jack Crum, and Jack Crum prayed and received Christ as Savior at an Auburn Knights reunion. And the reason he did is because my dad knew it was his best friend, and he wanted to share the best news that he could with him. So 10 things that I learned from my dad. And I think through that, hopefully you can pick something up through all of that that you can use. But circle that last one, and that is sharing the best news with the best friend. The best news is the gospel of Jesus Christ and that because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, we can have life eternal. We come into a relationship with God. We become one of his children. And it affects the life we live on earth. It affects what we do for eternity. And so when you bring that into your life, then see about the people that you're closest to and say, I want to share some of the best news with you. Listen, I hope you have a great summer. We'll be sending you emails and reminders, and we come back in September, we're ready for another Power Lunch. Thank you all very much. Have a great summer.